Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Lauren Wiseman, Environmental Manager at WWF UK. We speak about the expansive topic of environmentalism and specifically how charities and individuals can do their part to combat the risk of climate catastrophe. This is a topic which is particularly on my mind most of the time, as I'm sure it is for you, and Lauren brings such enthusiasm and positivity to the subject that there are some excellent takeaways here for everyone, and perhaps, more importantly, some actions and behaviours that we can all take on board. This episode is brought to you by our Platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, here is Lauren Wiseman speaking with me about the Sustainable Office Guide. I'm delighted to be joined by Lauren Wiseman, Environmental Manager at WWF. Lauren, welcome to Charity Chat. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. Really appreciate you coming on the show because I know you, um, I've read some of your work and I'm really impressed by some of your work. And um, I suppose maybe if we can start by me asking you, you know, what is your background? How did you get interested and involved in environmental work? Yeah, well, we're going to go around the houses, so <laughs> I hope you're ready for a long and winding tale. Um, so when I was a child, um, I was my role model was Lisa Simpson from The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I really wanted to be her, um, be a straight-A student, play the saxophone, uh, care about justice and the environment. So she was my big role model. Um, so I've always been a bit of an environmental activist since I was a kid. But um, I didn't know that you could actually work at charities and get paid. And I also certainly didn't know that there were any jobs in the environmental sector. <laughs> so I actually have a law degree <laughs> and oh, wow. I had plans to be a barrister because um, I wanted to earn loads of money. Um, <laughs> but when I was at university, decided that working 70 hours a week just to earn ridiculous amounts of money was really not for me. And I wanted to do something a bit more worthwhile with my time. So when I came out of university, bumbled around in loads of different admin jobs and events jobs. And then as luck would have it, I moved to Woking, which is where the WWF headquarters are. Um, came past the building, decided to look on the jobs board, um, applied for four different jobs and finally managed to get one. And then uh, since discovering that you can actually be paid to work at a charity, um, managed to work my way up into environmental management, which uh, manages to combine everything I love doing in my private life at work. So <laughs> it's great that I'm um, loving what I do, really passionate about it, going to use my expertise in that field. But it's also difficult because it's difficult to switch off because uh, your work is your life. It's, so. it's, it's a vocation, is it? Yeah, 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 definitely. You, um, I always say to my partner that I can't really go to the supermarket very easily these days because every time I pick up a product, I can see, well, this one's got one slavery, this one's got deforestation. Uh, oh, this one's sustainable. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes it a bit more difficult. <laughs> Does that influence which supermarkets you go to and, and where you shop yeah. and all of those yeah. types of decisions? Yeah. Yes, it does. I um, there's a magazine called Ethical Consumer which I get lots of information from. They've got league tables, so every time it comes out with well this company's having a boycott now and oh this company's fallen down the ranks on the league tables because they've discovered 
modern slavery or that they're using unsustainable palm oil it's like oh got to make a note of that right i won't be shopping there anymore or i'm going to change my shopping habits now because <laughs> i feel like my job is to make sure that wwf is walking the talk so in my personal life i feel a bit like well you can't be the eco police if you're not going to act responsibly yourself so. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so there's so many aspects of it aren't there in terms of ethical consumerism and, and i guess all of it relates in one way or another to environmental work doesn't it yeah yeah absolutely yeah I guess the, the environment and our impact on it seems to be increasingly at the front of people's minds. I mean, I know we live in bubbles these days. I mean, I, I'm assuming that it's in the front of a lot of people's minds, not just me and my bubble, um, and uh, anxieties about the future. Some say that the pandemic we find ourselves in is a consequence of the human behaviours which are leading to environmental changes. So how should we all be turning our anxieties about the environment, such a huge and unprecedented challenge, into actions that we can each do every day? It's really easy, I think, especially during the pandemic at the moment, to fall into negative spirals and feeling really hopeless in a way, um, especially when you can have a bad day at work or something stressful will happen you turn on the news and it's full of bad news and then you go online on social media and humans are being awful to each other and it just it can all add up and make you feel like what is the point the planet is dying people are dying people are being horrible why bother saving it why bother acting and making these changes um and i get get like that sometimes but there are there are two things that i try and remind myself of um to, to get myself out of these these little slumps so the first one is that hopelessness is actually a privilege so we in the west we can afford to be hopeless sometimes whereas um for the poorest people on the planet or black indigenous or people of color communities they are disproportionately affected by climate change they suffer the worst they have the lowest footprints but they suffer the biggest impacts and they can't afford to give up hope because they have to make changes they have to act to survive whereas we in the west typically are causing climate change but we're suffering the least we can turn on the air conditioner when the temperature is hot we can um, move to a different house or go and stay in a hotel if our home is flooded and the council or our insurance company will give us money to fix the damage but we need to accept that we have this privilege and act on it and taking small actions to make change because that is climate justice and although we're not suffering it yet we will suffer it in the future like like australia will have 45 degree temperature weather here mm. and we'll start to realize oh we should have been helping other people and taking action rather than sitting back and just feeling hopeless and the second thing is to know your limits so if i've been sat on Twitter for half an hour and I'm starting to feel really angry and hopeless and annoyed just turning it off taking some time away knowing right I'm not going to read any news I'm not going to check the TV and and find out what's happening in the UK it, it's too doom and gloom I'm going to go away and do some actions even if it's just turning everything off for an hour that's still less en energy that you're using Maybe you'll go for a walk and pick up one plastic bottle. Well, you've made a change to the environment because you've picked up a plastic bottle and it's better than when you found it. All of these tiny little actions make a difference in the big scheme of things. 
it may be that they're not going to have a huge difference. So when you've got billionaires blasting off into space and that's causing a huge amount of pollution and, and uh, carbon emissions, mm. picking up one plastic bottle doesn't really outweigh that, but it helps you keep going and keeping this momentum going, acting for the planet, appreciating that that is the right thing to do and not giving up hope. And that is what will change things for the better rather than sitting back and, and giving up in a way. So having that hope and continuing it and doing even tiny weeny little things like maybe hanging your washing out in the garden rather than putting on the tumble dryer, just taking small things that keep you going is uh, is my advice. And I guess that that has a, there's a kind of a synergy there with the reasons that people support charities, isn't there? It's kind of looking at what it is that the charity is doing, the little things they're doing, trying not to think too much about the larger context in some cases, because it can be overwhelming. I guess looking at the the mountain instead of the next step is is the wrong thing to do, isn't it? It doesn't really, it takes away your power. It prevents you from doing something. You have authored a sustainable office guide. What surprised you in the course of your work on this document? Yeah, and um, as a quick plug, people can download that via our website. Excellent, yes. <laughs> it's well worth um, the read, yeah, I'd recommend it. Yeah, so you can find it on our environmental page. We have a dedicated page um, for all of our environmental information. We try and be as open and transparent as possible. Sure. Um, so when I was writing the, the guide with input from, from my colleagues and experts at WWF, I think one of the, there are two main things that surprised me. One is the volume of possibilities that there are to take action mm. so there are so many teeny tiny little actions that people can take even if it's just putting a bird feeder outside your office really small but encourages biodiversity and mm. that in the grand scheme of things is going to help restore this ecological balance that is suffering maybe it's planting wildflowers outside or a window box on your on your office building tiny little changes can all make a big difference we do include bigger steps like changing to renewable energy but everyone's circumstances are different there's no one size fits all for this perfect green charity or organization so going through it getting some inspiration maybe you don't do any of the tips that are in the guide but picking something that's relevant to you and and using it as inspiration is still it's going to be a, a good starting point and the second thing that um surprised me is the impact of finance So finance has gone under the radar as one of these things that no one really thinks about. We think about energy, water, waste, um, maybe plastics as well, but no one's thinking that much about sustainable finance. Mm. So as charities, we're all doing good work. We're trying to achieve these goals that are going to make the planet and people better. But you can be doing all that great work. And in the background, your organization's current account or their savings or your company pension might be invested in an industry that's supporting fossil fuels or deforestation, or maybe it's even arms trading. All these things people aren't really questioning. We give our money to to banks and investment portfolios and we don't give it a second look as long as it's getting a good return. So it's really important that we all take some action and start thinking more about investing in sustainable industries, especially when you consider that going into the future industries like fossil fuels and deforestation, they aren't sustainable. So soon your finances will be in jeopardy if that's where your money is invested. Um, And actually switching to sustainable funds 
is more stable and in the long term will be more profitable going forward. So, um, yeah, taking a getting your finances in order, as it were, and taking a good look can have a really big impact on our planet. And, and I guess also the, the flip side is that you could be contributing to a lot of negative environmental practices if you aren't thinking about where your finances are going, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it all comes around. Um, you might, might not realise it, but it'll come back around in the form of climate change. Yeah. And are we, uh, do you still use the term climate change? Because I've, uh, I've started dabbling with climate catastrophe. I know that, that's not to sound... Uh, um, dismissive of, of the, uh, the terrible uh, impact of it but I am um, I'm using is that the right term to use these days or does it matter yeah I think I've heard so many ones being used at WWF we still do use um, climate change currently because it's what most people understand, understand. yeah it can yeah. be very difficult to start using things like global heating climate emergency climate catastrophe hmm. and they're all perfectly valid I mean the the temperature of the earth is heating and we are heading into an emergency yeah um but it's difficult to explain sometimes when people have only just got their head around what climate change is and still might not be familiar with carbon emissions and these kinds of net zero these kinds of terms so we're trying to keep things easily understandable but still raise that awareness i suppose the reason for not using climate change was that it it kind of under under valued the impact but actually i wonder actually whether people now associate again i'm making generalizations but i think a lot of people would associate climate change with very negative impacts that we're seeing today right so it seems to have a kind of a weight to it anyway yeah and and i think it's important because it stresses that it's changing it's not necessarily Mm. that every country is going to experience floods or every country is going to heat up some are cooling and having more intense like uh, winters like Mm. snow in texas which knocked everyone for six and uh, some places are having droughts while others are underwater it's it's, it is this change but it does get a bit um co-opted sometimes with um, people that like to argue well the climate has always changed so it's not it's nothing new and what we we're seeing today will just sort itself out so uh, it's a double-edged sword in a way but um at the very least even if there are kind of climate change deniers listening to this which there might well be we're a very broad church uh, chat, chat podcast but um i guess the thing that that can't be disputed is that the level of carbon emissions have increased because of you know the uh well, since the Industrial Revolution, you know, we've seen that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the science is perfectly clear and the level of agreement is is almost 100%. Um, you can look at the, the ones that are less than 100% and with uh, some scepticism of where their funding has come from. Um, but yes, the, the level of agreement is perfectly clear that we are the first generation to know that we're fully having this impact on the planet and it is because of man-made activities burning fossil fuels is having this huge heating effect but we are the last generation that can do anything to stop it because once we get to a certain level of heating it will just be a runaway train and you can't pull it back into the station because Mm. it's started rolling down that hill and you you can't get it back so the whole world is really fighting now to limit activities of humans and to absorb carbon and stop polluting um, so that we can keep things as they are really um, definitely to make sure that we don't get any worse mm. um but there are sometimes people think oh well if we solve climate change 
the planet will go back to having normal weather events and, and the like. But unfortunately, what we're hoping for is to keep it as it is now. So there'll still be droughts, still be flooding, still be fires, but at, at, at a level that we can manage rather than this future that we're heading to where it's going to get more intense, more frequent, and people will start to be displaced as countries become uninhabitable. Um, I've got a young uh, son and, uh, you know, I think now a lot, and I'm sure a lot of parents will be think, think this way, that you know, everything I'm doing in some way or another is to try and make his life better. And so I suppose with that in mind, you know, for me, environmental action and, and at least doing the, the easy things, and these were relatively easy things in your report, I thought, um, they're, they're doable, aren't they? Um, those are the things that perhaps are even more important than setting up an ISA or, um, you know, or, or teaching him to read. You know, it's about kind of helping him to uh, have a, a world that uh, is, is right for him and right for his peers as well. But um, I should say at this stage, I am teaching him to read uh, along with his mother. So that's... Uh, <laughs> um, with, all, with all this in mind then, Lauren, what responsibility do charities, charity groups and individuals in the sector have in improving their environmental impact and reducing their carbon footprint, do you think? Yeah, I think we all have a responsibility as humans and as employees and as business owners or, or, or charities. Everyone has this responsibility. Like you're saying with your son, we need to protect the future. Currently, kids understandably are pretty annoyed because there is not much of a future for them. So if we want to protect the world and, and create a, a livable future, we all need to do, we all need to act. And time is, is of the essence really for that. I think for charities and, and the charity industry, um, the charity sector, we have an added responsibility because um, the, the public donate money to us in, in good faith and expect us to do the responsible thing. So we need to act responsibly for our donors and supporters and achieve the goals that they are supporting us for. So whether it's stopping endangered species, helping homeless people, um, supporting, uh, eradicating illnesses, all of these things we're trying to work and do the good work for. But at the same time, we can't be fighting climate change with this limited funding. We need to, we need to achieve our goals and, and our work and it's going to cost extra money to, to repair offices after they've been hit by floods or paying the huge air conditioning bill if, if the temperature outside is rising. So it's, it's going to make things a lot harder for charities and we have to act responsibly with those limited funds that we have. So any investments that we can make now to reducing our environmental impact, reducing our carbon footprint, putting in place this good practice to reduce our impact on the planet, hopefully will mean that we have less outgoings to pay for as the, um, the as climate change is slowed, basically, because if we act responsibly, businesses should follow suit and we can put pressure on businesses that aren't following suit. And hopefully everyone will be working to reduce their impacts and slowing climate change. So there will be less um, limits on our budgets to be paying to repair the damage and instead mitigating the damage at the, at the beginning. And lots of people from um, charities, other, other charities, even from my own charity, focus very much on cost, 
because we get such limited funding and we can't spend it willy-nilly, they look at a sheet of recycled paper versus virgin paper and maybe it's more expensive or to buy the recycled plastic fundraising banner might be more expensive than a virgin um, polyester banner or switching to renewable energy might be more expensive. But all these things help reduce the long-term costs of fighting climate change. So it's kind of like an upfront investment, as it were, now to get our house in order before we have to start um, repairing the damage that's going to be coming our way. I've seen a few charities in the, in the course of interviews and other things that I do who make a big noise, even if they're not uh, ostensibly an environmental charity, um, but they, they make some noise at least about the fact that they do have an environmental policy, they have environmental practice, and I take an interest in those charities because of that. Do you feel that maybe that is becoming an increasingly important thing for charities to be able to talk about too, regardless of their mission? Yeah, and I think... It's something that hasn't happened for a long time because we're so used to talking about the good work that we do within our field. So we've pandas are no longer endangered. They're vulnerable. Great. We're celebrating that and we're talking about that. But actually, we have renewable energy or we have FSC and recycled paper and we're doing this great thing for the environment. So charities need to start talking a bit more about the good stuff they're doing. And like you, I'm always on the lookout for when a welcome pack comes through the door or a charity send me, sends me an email. I'm like, oh, I'll just take a little look, see what they're doing. And when I see these surprising, uh, maybe they're a really small charity or something that's completely not related to the environment whatsoever. When I see that they're doing these amazing things like this tiny little insect charity is supplying 100% organic cotton t-shirts in their shop that's amazing that's that's great than some of these bigger charities that can't afford to supply organic t-shirts when these are small charities with even limit more limited funds and they've got very tiny incomes and they're doing the right thing and it it's so refreshing and so inspiring when i see these things happening and i think we should all be doing more one working towards that and making these these more positive changes but also talking about them because we're all looking for examples of best practice we're all learning from each other a small charity uh, a big charity has as much to learn from a small charity as a small charity has from the big charity so sharing this best practice sharing what works what doesn't work bringing costs down because if we all start supporting these green industries the costs are going to come down mm. um, like recycled paper now is super cheap more ch uh, cheaper than virgin paper because everyone's buying it so making these um, investments now is, is helping everyone else and uh, talking about things rather than keeping them all locked up as well. So uh, what are your hopes for the future for environmentalism and the charity sector? I really would love for all charities and organizations in the charity sector to start monitoring, reporting and um, taking action on their environmental footprints and also on their social footprints too. So sustainability has three tier, three pillars inside it. It's environmental, social and economic. We're all very good at economic, looking after the finances. 
Some of us are good at the environmental, some of us are good at the social, um, but it's bringing all three into the fold and starting to talk about what we're doing, writing reports, even if it's just talking about your the amount of energy or your carbon emissions from energy. Anything is going to help and sharing that information with others. And I would really love to see all charities and individuals taking action on this and, and being inspired and, and inspiring others. Maybe it's that your charity runs a volunteering day and not many people know that you do that. That is fantastic. It's supporting your local community, supporting your local environment, and it helps the planet. So yeah, spreading this great news and um, taking some action would be my absolute dream to see everybody doing that. And also, if anyone listening is doing some great things and wants to share some best practice, then please do let me know what you're doing, because I'm always looking to learn from others, just as others are looking to WWF to learn too. So, Lauren Wiseman, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. big thank you to Lauren Wiseman for contributing to this episode of Charity Chat. I enjoyed speaking with Lauren, whose enthusiasm for environmentalism has both inspired me to do more to reduce my carbon footprint and also seek to affect change with the organisations I work for and support, and also to hold on to some of the positive rationale she espoused to ensure that I don't get too despondent about the challenge climate change or climate catastrophe. It's too easy for us to get fatalistic about how our humanity's impact has changed the climate and deem it to be inevitable and something we have little control over. It's true that it is a global responsibility and it will take an unprecedented movement for change, but how unprecedented is it? Many pundits have talked about the societal changes that we've seen during the pandemic, the lockdowns, the financial support from the state, which may have seemed inconceivable back in 2019. And as many of us know from working for and supporting charities, change comes from small acts that galvanise others. We've seen this from a variety of relatively recent fundraising successes, such as the Ice Bucket Challenge and the No Makeup Selfie. We've also experienced this ourselves, working with others, to deliver for beneficiaries and coordinating events to bring people together to do things that make gradual change and progression possible. We may already have some of the muscle memory from the issues we tackle as part of our work and support of charities that we can now use to help us to reduce climate change or climate catastrophe ourselves. I also think it's important to look at microcosms as ways of seeing the possibilities um, and extrapolate these to kind of macrocosm levels where we can look at our causes, the charities we care for, and how the work is being done to affect change, no matter how small it may seem, we can imagine grander movements then for change. And with that, the possibility that could address the climate catastrophe that we're now seeing. Reducing climate catastrophe should be at the front of our minds with all of our decisions regarding making positive change in the world looking at those through the prism of the climate and how we can affect change positively for the climate. Lauren said, don't be hopeless, do what you can. We didn't get into 
in detail, but Lauren's report spells out a whole host of things that you can do in your daily life and things that your charity or organisation can do too. So please do check it out on our website or by googling WWF Sustainable Office Guide and you'll find it there. It's really worth a look and it's free, so do share it too. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to share insights, expertise, and best practice across our sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Please do check it out, charitychat.org.uk and Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.